This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Today, we follow up on the government's announcement of an independent commission into long-term care that will begin work in September. Yesterday, the opposition was insisting that this format isn't good enough and a full public inquiry is needed. And as you heard in Bob's News today, NDP leader Andrea Horvath followed up by naming conservative insiders who are paid lobbyists for the for-profit nursing home sector. The minister says she'll be consulting widely, and we are consulting with the CEOs who represent both for-profit and not-for-profit homes to see what they think. We would also like to hear from you. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And by the way, at the bottom of the hour, we'll be talking to the iconic Hazel McCallion, who now works for Rivera. But first, let's bring in Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, and Lisa Levin, CEO of Advantage Ontario. Welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Libby. Thank you so much, Libby. Okay, so first, uh, let's start with Lisa. What's your reaction to the announcement of this independent commission? I was happy to hear that uh, the government is going forward to look into this. Um, This has been an unprecedented tragedy, and we need to take a look at what has happened so that we can prevent anything from happening um, to this extent ever again. So we fully support the government's uh, announcement. And Donna? It, yeah, thanks, thanks, Libby. I have to echo what, what Lisa's saying. You know, before this started uh, in, in early February, our association said that we were facing a perfect storm uh, with a lot of structural and systemic issues in long-term care. And unfortunately, we, we now moved into this unimaginable tragedy. So we, we have called uh, for, for an inquiry, uh, a, 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 a commission, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we, we have to have a means of looking at and addressing our systemic issues. But what we would also say is we have a need to focus on immediate solutions to protect our residents and our frontline heroes right now. Uh, we know that this this pandemic is going to run for about 18 months, uh, especially if we don't find a vaccine. And uh, there are urgent, urgent uh, measures that we need to be taking today, uh, not not just in September uh, when a commission starts. Lisa, do you uh, agree with any of the criticisms that it has to be a public inquiry versus a, a commission? Uh, some of us are, are not even uh, that sure what the difference is. The government seems to be saying that a commission will be quicker. Well, certainly it seems like a commission would be quicker. And for us, what's most important is that this, what happened uh, so far during the pandemic is examined. Uh, but we don't also want to rehash things that we already have heard through the long-term care inquiry um, with the, um, you know, after Elizabeth Wetlaw uh, murdered those individuals in long-term care. 
we've already studied a lot of things to, you know, very, very carefully in long-term care. We know we need more staff. We know we need more funding. So we don't need to rehash those things. What we need this commission to look at is what happened in this pandemic. Uh, But we also, as Donna said, we need immediate action now. We cannot sit and wait for two years for a group to, you know, go through a whole long extended process. We need to have action now. By action, uh, Donna, do you mean funding? So uh, what what I would say is we need to, uh, what we, we know we need more people. Uh, and in order to have more people, we need more supplies. So we need to make sure that long-term care continues to be prioritized for personal protective equipment for masks, gloves, gowns uh, as we go forward. Uh, without those, we won't have people. Uh, we need to uh, continue with continuous testing and long-term care uh, as we move through the summer and into the fall. Uh, we know that we need to uh, make investments in interim measures in our existing buildings, especially where there are four bedrooms, uh, and uh, enhance our infection pre- prevention uh, and control, uh, and we need to expedite our capital program. So it's it's not as simple as saying we need funding, we need resources, we need partnerships, uh, we need to uh, act fast uh, to address these, these these issues and make sure that uh, you know we're doing this in a concerted way. Lisa, much has been made about the difference between for-profit and not-for-profit homes, and some of the worst outbreaks are in for-profit homes, and even before the pandemic, uh, we saw more violations in for-profit homes. Uh, Does that have to be examined by the commission? And there are some people who are even saying that the whole sector should become not-for-profit. I think we have to look very carefully at the evidence and see what the evidence shows us, which is why this commission is so important. And we need to look at a number of factors, including that. And so that's what we hope will come out of this so that we have independent advice to tell us what exactly has happened, why it has happened in that way, and suggestions on how we can move forward. Donna? Uh, we, we really have to uh, step back and look at what the root causes are. Uh, certainly, as we look at the data, and, and our association represents uh, large publicly traded companies, yes, but also uh, we represent small charitable homes as well as some, some municipal homes. So we have a, 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 a broader vantage point as we look at, at our data, and certainly the, the early data are telling us that ownership does not matter. Uh, the, the greatest uh, enemies in, in this are COVID-19 and four-bedroom rooms uh, and shared washrooms. So where we're seeing the exponential um, uh, impact really is in these, these, these older homes that were built to standards for the 1970s. But would you object if that's one of the terms of reference of the commission to look at for-profit versus profit and why the numbers are a lot worse in for-profit? You know, you know, Libby, I think to, to Lisa's point, let's, let's look, at, look at the data overall. I, I think we have to look at the economics of uh, what's working and what's not working in the system uh, as we go forward, uh, where, where there are need to be investments, uh, what, what does the system look like on a go-forward basis. Um, uh, but as, as we say, as we look at our, at our membership, we are not seeing a correlation uh, between ownership. Uh, I think the, the majority of the homes in the province are, um, are private. Uh, and so with, with that and with these old homes, uh, you, you see a, a higher spike in those numbers. But it's, it really is about 
let's uh, let's look at the data. Let's step back. Uh, let's consider the whole picture and, and the entire context of, of what works and what doesn't, and uh, and recognize that Ontario is is uh, experiencing this not in a vacuum, but within the context of a global pandemic as well. Yeah, but again, so would you object if that's a term of reference? We will work with the government to inform and, and shape their terms of reference. And, and obviously, uh, we're certainly hearing uh, uh, the opposition parties and others uh, calling for that to be a, to, to be a condition. Uh, we want to make sure that what we're focused on is action and results right now. And uh, that that really is our priority. Let's what is the problem we're solving for? Uh, and let's make sure that we're focused on on, on solving those uh, Lisa, do you have any sense of uh, whether right now the government uh, stepped in, albeit a bit late, to stop uh, workers from working in multiple homes? Uh, do you have any sense of whether that's going to continue indefinitely? And what's your view of that? I think this is one of the things, Libby, that we need to think about for the future. So we need to ask, why is it that so many staff in long-term care work in multiple you know, homes? And part of the reason is that it's shift work and it's very hard to organize that so that everyone has a full-time job. But then the other reason is that, frankly, it's cheaper to not have to pay benefits uh, to people. And so if we can get more money into long-term care for staffing, then we can definitely decrease the number of staff working for multiple homes. And so that's some of the things that we need to look at. So we already know that Human resources is a big problem in long-term care. We don't have to study that again, but we do need to look at some of the intricacies like workers working in multiple homes uh, as moving as something to look at moving forward to permanently change the system and improve it in Ontario. Uh, Donna, in the statement you released yesterday, you said that you need, uh, quote, continued human resources flexibility. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, so, so Libby, before that we went into the pandemic, um, through our legislation, there, there are very, very rigid, uh, requirements, uh, around who can do what in a long-term care home, what a nurse has to do, only a nurse can do, what only a PSW can do. Uh, I, I you know, we, we need, so, a, one of our emergency orders very early on was to give homes flexibility to allow nurses actually to work to their full scope of practice. Uh, so as we look at how do we staff long-term care homes, uh, what is the range of competencies? What are the, the range of regulated staff that we need in the homes? Uh, how do we support our PSWs in training them to uh, to manage in a pandemic environment, a, a post-COVID world, or, or, or even as we go forward? So, uh, that flexibility, instead of having it prescribed in the legislation, which actually prevented us, uh, homes from actually implementing their pandemic plans, that flexibility is going to be, you know, really important as we go forward. As we saw homes decimated, uh, their staffing levels decimated by COVID outbreaks, uh, where they were in many cases reduced to, to to almost only 20% of their staff, uh, staff had to step up and do whatever it took. Um, we need to avoid that from happening again. Uh, we need to make sure that as we're, we're thinking about the go forward to Lisa's point, we know what the problems are. Uh, let's, let's look at what, what a staffing, a meaningful staffing model is going to be and make sure that we have the, 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 the weapons against COVID, which are the, 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 personal protective equipment and the testing to make staff feel safe. Um, but let's give them the flexibility to react uh, to an emergency and a crisis in real time and work to their scope of practice. 
Lisa, advocates are very uneasy about that uh, idea. They say that really there have to be strict regulations about how many nurses are there, about people having a minimum of uh, PSW training. Uh, What do you think? I think it depends on if you're talking during a pandemic or after a pandemic. Because during a pandemic, if your choice, Libby, is to have someone who has that training uh, or someone who doesn't, that's the difference between not having someone to care for people in the home or having someone to care for people in the home. And so when those homes that have been affected and have lost 80% of their staff, their only choice might be to have someone who is not a personal support worker come in and give water to someone who's thirsty, to uh, change their clothes, to, uh, you know, feed them. And so we don't have a lot of luxury, unfortunately, to have the ideal model. However, looking forward, we do need to have adequate levels of nursing in the home because people in long-term care are much sicker than they used to be. We need to have high enough numbers of staff altogether. But until we can deal with the broader-based health human resources crisis, especially in northern areas of the province and rural areas, We do need more flexibility to have what's called like PSW assistance or having PSWs have on-the-job training and be able to work like apprentices um, as long as it's done very carefully so that we can make sure we have enough people to care for our vulnerable seniors. Okay, uh, Donna, I know you have to go, but a, a final question. So uh, we know that social isolation is, is very difficult. And uh, what about uh, ending, you know, the prohibition of, of family members visiting in nursing homes? Also, a lot of those family members actually provide a lot of care. What are your thoughts on when that should be reintroduced and should it happen in a controlled way sometime soon? You know, we're, uh, uh, Lisa and I actually sit at a, a group and a table where we're, we're having these discussions about um, how, how can we make this happen sooner or later and how do we, how do we actually do it safely? So we, we really do need to make sure that we have mechanisms in place on an ongoing basis, including testing and uh, 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 personal protective equipment, ongoing surveillance and, and screening on an ongoing basis as we, we plan for and, and quite honestly expect a second wave or even what they're called wavelets of, of, of this. With the economy opening up, uh, more people circulating, how do we, how do we manage that tension uh, between the safety of, of our residents uh, and, and their families? We have to find a way to uh, ensure that, that our families can come together and, and support each other again. So certainly this is top of mind for, for us as, as we figure out how to, how to do this safely and well, uh, because we know that COVID-19 comes into the homes from the outside. Uh, what does that look like in a, in a new open economy? Um, so we are, uh, you know, looking at what the tools are, certainly working with the caregiver organization as well uh, as uh, our residence councils and our families council can, and working towards solutions. Uh, this is, uh, you know, an, such an unimaginable tragedy and to be separated from your loved one and to lose your loved one without having had the opportunity to say goodbye is it, just completely unimaginable. Absolutely. Uh, Donna Duncan, I know you have to go. Thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Libby. Take care. Be safe. Okay. Thanks. Everybody be safe. Lisa, uh, you are staying. Okay, we'll get rid of that. Uh, uh, Lisa, you are up. 
Lisa will be staying with us. Uh, we're going to bring in Miranda Ferrier, but before that, I would like to take a couple of calls. Let's go to Clay in Ajax. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good. I'm good. Whether it's an inquiry or a commission, uh, I don't think it's going to make any difference, Libby. The Orchard Villa, there was 127 citations, as you and I have talked about before, and there was no accountability. There was no follow-up. They can they can say they're going to do this. They're going to they can say they're going to do that. The woman that just finished talking, she said that uh, it came from outside. People brought it in. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to have the PSWs living there so that they're not going back and forth. And I'm not being smart, you know. Uh, she basically she was inferring to visitors coming in to visit their parents and that. But how do you control it? I mean, we were totally unprepared for this. You know it, and I know it. It's just one of those things. But the bottom line is they can have an inquiry, they can have a commission, but unless somebody is going to be accountable and follows up on these things, what good is it? Well, yeah, I mean, even after the Galice inquiry, which was uh, um, a lot more limited, you know, there were 91 recommendations, and, uh, you know, there may be a handful that have been acted on. So, uh, you know, none of these things, whether it's a full public inquiry or a commission or, you know, a, a pig in a poke, uh, they're not binding. No, exactly. So you have to have, I mean, it's, it seems to me, just uh, watching, it seems to me that uh, this government is committed to doing something about this. But, you know, we have to see. Absolutely. Everybody's throwing stones at Doug. I think he's doing a fantastic job based on the situation he found himself in, Lib. Okay, well, I, I don't think actually everybody's throwing stones at him. He's got a lot of high marks for how he's handled this. Uh, Clay, thanks for your call. Okay, let's go to Pat here in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Good afternoon. Uh, I have a real concern once I heard the, the um, comments this morning on the radio. Um, I have some involvement in other aspects of the government where uh, rules are put in place and then a message comes from on high to ignore those rules. And there will be an upcoming court case, which the papers have already been filed with regard to the Environment Department at uh, the Ontario government. So the oversight is going to be interesting to look at. But unfortunately, we can put all the rules in that we could be devised. The question is whether they are actually implemented and followed. And unfortunately, there is far too much political impact or involvement in many of these things. And the same would be in this area of the long-term care. Okay, Pat, thanks for your call. All right. Uh, we are now uh, going to go uh, back to Lisa Levin from Advantage Ontario, and we're going to bring in Miranda Ferrier, the president and founder of the Ontario Personal Support Worker Association. Hello, Miranda. Hello again, Lisa. Hi, Libby. So, hey. Hey, uh, Miranda. So uh, is this type of commission that we heard about yesterday, is that is that good enough from your point of view? I'm absolutely thrilled with that announcement, and and I'll tell you why, Libby. We were a part of the inquiry uh, into Elizabeth Wetlawford, like uh, Lisa was in her organization, and it was a very intense, very long uh, inquiry that had a lot of great suggestions that came out of it. And I think that if we do another inquiry, it's going to be another two years before we see any changes on the front line in long-term care. We don't have that time to waste. Um, so having this, this independent commission, I think, will move things faster. We'll see change happen faster. 
and hopefully it will be good for everyone in these long-term care homes. Okay, uh, uh, Lisa, back to our conversation. Uh, we heard uh, before Donna left that you're at a table with her trying to decide when loved ones will be allowed back in. Is is there any kind of date, time, anything like that? Well, to be clear, Libby, this decision is up to government, not up to us, but we can I convened a table, um, I think a month and a half ago, with a bunch of different stakeholders, including the family caregiver, uh, or the Ontario Caregiver Association, family councils, and residence council associations, and OLTCA, and others. And one of the things that we have been talking about, amongst others, is how we can get families back into the homes. And so what we're doing is we're providing our suggestions that to uh, the Ministry of Long-Term Care, and some of our members also have suggestions. And, you know, it's a horrible decision that has to be made between do you die of loneliness or do you die of COVID? And, we, you know, as this goes on longer and longer, the loneliness part becomes increasingly, you know, more unacceptable because people will die of loneliness. So as the numbers go down for now, um, we are looking to see if the government uh, would put in place in communities where numbers are low enough, and I don't think they are quite yet, visits um, outside perhaps uh, where people can be controlled and set apart from one another. Um, you know, it's crazy. One of our members suggested uh, a setup like in prisons where you have like the telephone and the oh. plexiglass and the whole thing, and people are so desperate that anything would work. But with some residents who have dementia, they don't understand physical distancing. And so, you know, how do you keep them back from their loved ones? So these are all the things we need to keep in mind. And it's a really tough conversation. Yeah. Uh, Miranda, before you joined us, we were talking about the issue of profit versus nonprofit homes. There are There is a, a growing cry to say we've got to make them all nonprofit and the numbers are a lot worse in for-profit homes because uh, while they get the same funding for the same envelopes, they have to come up with a profit. Uh, do you have a view on that? Um, you know, for... This this conversation obviously has been with my board and with my committees, and we've had many conversations. And, and I mean, we represent personal support workers in for-profit and not-for-profit. And really, frankly, I think we, we need to almost take table that conversation for now. We need to focus on fixing the system um, in both for-profit and not-for-profit. Um, they're all having the same problems right now. There really is no difference. Currently, well, that's um, not, if you look at the either. numbers, it's just one big issue. Yeah, they're having the same problems, but in much bigger numbers in for profit. Yeah. Um, and, and to that, I can't really answer that. I, I don't know why. Uh, you know, I know some for profit homes that actually spent a ton of their own money uh, and brought in their own PPE uh, when we were, you know, waiting for PPE to hit the front line. Um, They're spending copious amounts of money on bringing in personal support workers from all over the province just to, you know, have PSWs on the floor in their long-term care homes, and they're paying them good, very good money to be there. Um, So, and then I have not-for-profits that, you know, are fantastic and are trying to do everything they can for their staff with what little they have. It's it's a really hard question to answer because they're so vastly different, but also the same in the same, in the, in the same conversation. So it's hard to say. 
Uh, and, so I can uh, add to that, Libby. Go ahead. Um, so I cannot comment, like I said earlier, on the pandemic but and, and the differences because we need to go through that information. But we do know there have been um, many, many studies that have been done in a non-pandemic situation that show that not-for-profit homes have higher staffing levels, higher staffing hours, um, lower mortality rates, lower hospital admissions, uh, lower pressure ulcer prevalence, etc. So there is a definite advantage to having not-for-profit homes and community-based homes. But certainly we have had non-profit homes that have also had bad outbreaks. So I think we need to look from a pandemic perspective very closely at the information. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I mean, uh, that's the point. And Miranda, you know, uh, right now, your members are not allowed to work in multiple homes. Is that something that should be made permanent? And right now, I mean, it's the federal government topping up their money. But sh- <laughs> should those things be made permanent? Um, you know what, Libby, this has always been an issue, right, with personal support workers working in multiple different jobs just to make one paycheck. Um, you know, I, I think that we do need to change the way that works with long-term care homes, especially. We need to see more full-time positions uh, for personal support workers. And, and I also understand that, you know, the reason why there's not a ton of full-time positions because then they save money on benefits. Yeah. They don't have to pay out benefits. But... We're talking about health care here. We're talking about the lives and the quality of life for our most senior and vulnerable population. You know, I don't think, you know, PSWs need to be able to work full time in one home. I mean, the continuity of care would be incredible. Um, PSWs would have a, an amazing, uh, you know, ability to work in one place, not have to travel all over the place. We could keep the contagions down because it's not just the pandemic or the COVID-19. We're also dealing with a bunch of other things too, like the flu or the Norwalk virus, et cetera. And I don't think that they should bring it back. I think that it should be PSWs only working in one long-term care home, but then they have to give them the hours and the full-time pay and the benefits. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan uh, to me because uh, they do incredible work and it's, you know, it just doesn't seem right that they can't get a full-time job with benefits given the work that they do. I'm sure that we are going to take this conversation up again. I've got to wrap things up now. Thank you so much, Miranda Ferrier and Lisa Levin. Appreciate your time. Welcome. Thank you, Libby. Take care. And now I would like to bring in Hazel McCallion, of course, former mayor of Mississauga and the chief elder officer at Rivera. Hello, and thanks so much for being with us. Oh, that's great. Good to hear from you again. Good good to hear from you. What is your reaction to this commission? Is, is this the right platform to figure out what the heck is going on in long-term care? Well, first of all, we don't need a public inquiry that takes a long time, and most of them are very... Uh, unsuccessful, in my opinion. I think the government has done the right thing by setting up a commission. But even before there's a commission, there's obvious things now that should be done immediately in regard to the long-term care. People have presented things to the government, all governments, uh, 
the previous government and, and this government, uh, the, what action should be taken. For one thing, the staff is underpaid, and a $4 bonus that the provincial government is at should continue con- forever. They are underpaid. Secondly, I hope the commission will not take too long because there's evidence now, and I think uh, the virus has brought it to the attention all across Canada, not just Ontario, that there's, there's good needs. There's lack of facilities. Uh, there's uh, hospitals. In our hospital here in Mississauga, I think there were one, over 100 beds occupied by long-term care patients that should be in long-term care homes. Though the, the need for facilities has been evident for years. The need for the, that the staff in these homes are underpaid has been known for years. And can you believe, I just can't believe when I got involved, that uh, the allocation of food to feed long-term care is $8 a day, but if you're in jail, you get four, they get four, $12 a day. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That, that... So the needs are very obvious now. They don't even need, uh, uh, they don't need to wait for a commission to tell the government that the needs are there now. Uh, but the commission is a great idea. I think it will firmly present to the government what, ha- what the long-term needs of long-term care. So, but a public inquiry, I think, is just a complete waste of time. We need action now on the needs of the long-term care. There's uh, waiting lists. Uh, Yihong, that has a facility here in Mississauga, is a long waiting list. There's no beds for them. Uh, every government announced they're going to build uh, 10,000 beds for long-term care. I don't see too many being built. They should check that. Um, How many have been built? Well, not very many, apparently. Uh, Hazel, much has been made about the difference between for-profit and not-for-profit homes. The numbers, they're both, both types of homes have had outbreaks, but the numbers in for-profit homes are a lot worse. And even before the outbreak, the numbers of pressure sores and all kinds of other metrics, uh, worse in for-profit homes. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say that's because they have to get a profit and they cut back on other things. Is that something the commission should look into? I think they should look into all aspects, but I can assure you that the uh, long-term care uh, uh, for-profit companies such as uh, Chartwell, Extendicare, Siemens, and Rivera. You know, I visit all the long-term care homes of Rivera in Ontario and uh, and in British Columbia, so I know what service that Rivera gives to long-term care. But they would like to renovate some of the older homes they have, and there's problems with the province giving approval to it. Secondly, when you want to build uh, long-term care homes, the municipalities uh, charge development levies, which discourages long-term homes from being built. And I've asked uh, the province to pick up the tab for the development levies 
in order to allow the long-term care homes to be built because land is very expensive. And with the development levies, it makes it almost impossible to, for a, a profit organization to see uh, uh, the profit, which is they build it to care for the people, yes. But the long-term care staff uh, has been neglected for years. They're not paid sufficiently. I'll tell you, they're such a dedicated, they're not there working in a long-term care home for the money. They're there because they care for people. Uh, abs- absolutely. Like now, uh, their, their, their uh, pay is being topped up by the federal government. But uh, should that be the responsibility of the homes going forward? I mean, everyone agrees and they don't have, they don't have full-time jobs. So yeah, the homes can avoid paying benefits. Know, this virus is going to make a great, ass- a great uh, uh, success story for the long-term care homes. Because what has happened is clearly, I think both the Prime Minister and our Premier has admitted that they have, and they, that there has been neglect in the long-term care or the, the vulnerable people that have been affected. So the two leaders have admitted it. And I believe that, that Doug Ford, knowing him as well as I do and the support I've given him, that he's going to put, take action and not wait for a public inquiry. In fact, I'm not sure he's going to wait for the commission. Yes, the commission is necessary to go into details, have public input, which the commission will have. But it's got to get going quickly. But there's action now that the province can take on the needs of the long-term care. And should they make it, uh, you know, right now, for the pandemic, uh, the workers can't work in more than one home. Should that just be made permanent? I think it should be made permanent, but the point is, if you're, if you're going to do that, then you better make sure that the pay of the staff in the long-term care homes is adequate. And uh, I think that long-term care should really come under the health plan of the province. Uh, and uh, I mean, when I think that a hundred acute beds in our hospital, two hospitals in Mississauga, are occupied by long-term care, when they should be in long-term care homes, and because there's a shortage of acute beds often in our hospitals, a great shortage. Uh, you're talking about the homes coming under OHIP. There are some people who say it should be under the Canada Health Act. Do you think yeah, that's... I think under the Canada Health Act. Uh, and so it would all basically uh, be like the rest of Medicare. Yeah. Uh, and to your point about the uh, alternate level of care, the patients in hospitals, one of the things that happened was that uh, the, those a lot of those patients were moved out into long-term care as the hospitals were creating space for the pandemic. Do you think that was a mistake? Uh, the hospitals were moving them out? They moved them out. A lot of the patients in alternate level of care were moved out of the hospital into long-term care as the hospitals were preparing to uh, to create right. space. Yeah, I'm not I'm not aware of that. Yeah, All that's right. yeah. that's what happened. It, um, it happened. 
I don't know. I, I, I will check with our hospitals because I'm the honorary guardian of our hospitals in Mississauga, and I will discuss that with Michelle. I wasn't aware of that, that they had moved them out. I know that they've been moved, that long-term care patients have been moved into the hospital. Uh, oh, yeah, that, um, then... Because of the uh, pandemic. Well, they were all moved into, uh, uh, or a lot of them were moved. They went to the top of the crisis list. They were moved into long-term care. Then a lot of them got sick. And at first, they they weren't allowed to go to hospital. And then lately, uh, some of them have been put into hospital because because of the horrible situation in long-term care. But anyway, I'm sure that's one thing that the commission will look at. I think... uh, I think the, the government has, has badly, both federal and provincial, all across Canada, not just in Ontario, have let down our long-term care uh, uh, occupants of the long-term care homes. The inspection. I, I had situations when I was there that I felt that the inspection done by the province is not uh, adequate. They get too friendly with the operator. And the inspectors, uh, I found one incident I ran into. I delved into it and investigated. And obviously the inspector that visited the home didn't do the job. So there's so many things. And I think the commission is the right way to go. And they've got to get going quickly and not take too much time. Because there's so much evidence. It is available now because of the pandemic that the commission doesn't need to spend a lot of time getting the job done. Okay, anything else you'd like to leave us with, Hazel? No, it bothers me because I visit the long-term care homes and the ones run by Rivera are are so well done. And I know Chartwell and Siemens and Extended Care. In fact, I'm sure you're aware that they that the four of them got together and set up a wonderful $2 million uh, fund to help the long-term care employees. Are you aware of that? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. So they really, uh, they really mean business to help and to see improvements in the long-term care because the, some of the bad examples that have come to light during this pandemic has uh, they these large corporations that uh, run a good good program? It reflects on them. It I, reflects on them. So we got to get to the bottom of it. Okay. And the commission is the right way to go. Uh, and public inquiry, waste of time and waste of money. Okay. On that note, Hazel McCallion, Chief Elder Officer at Rivera. Thank you so much for your input. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.